Hey, welcome to the First Two Entrepreneurs podcast, where we feature first responders that are also entrepreneurs or running business on the side. We are here to showcase these businesses, but also talk about the difficulties running a business while being a first responder. My name is Ryan Ballard, and I'm your host. In today's show, I am super excited to welcome Rick Davis from Impactus, Cultivating Today's Leaders. How are you, Rick? I'm doing pretty good, Ryan. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. I'm excited to have you on. I, uh, I was doing a little homework, and uh, you have uh, quite the career behind you, so um, <laughs> we'll dive into that, and uh, obviously, we'll dive into your business, talk mm. about that, what it's all about, and uh, we'll go from there, so... I see you were a uh, career fireman, correct, mm-hmm. in uh, Loveland, correct. right? Mm-hmm. And how long were you there? I was here in Loveland for 30 years. My entire fire service career spanned 37 uh, years. Started out as a volunteer in Jersey, and then I was a firefighter in the Air Force and the Marine Corps before coming here to Loveland. And so the last 30 years was, was spent here, and I retired out as a battalion chief in May of 2020. Awesome. Okay. So you've been retired for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, since you have started this business, um, before we get into that, I kind of want to touch on the your military service, if you don't mind, you know, you don't really hear too often people that serve in multiple different branches. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I kind of want to tell it, how did that happen? Yeah, there's a there's a few of us uh, out there like that. And then I uh-huh. started with the Air Force and went to the Marine Corps. A lot of times what you will see is people will be in the Marine Corps and then go to the Air Force. Mm. And, uh, you know, I I switched I switched that around. And this is a question that I am posed with quite often. <laughs> that question. And another question is because I'm from Jersey is people will say, how did you get from Jersey to Colorado? And I said, well, a witness protection program, you know? <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, as I was coming up through high school, I, I had been interested. I had wanted to be a firefighter uh, for years. I had my mm-hmm. first ride in a fire engine when I was three years old. My okay. dad gave me his badge when I was four. He had been a volunteer. My dad died when I was 14. I found him on the floor when I came home from school. Mm-hmm. And when they loaded him up in the ambulance, I said, this is what I'm going to do for a career. And so I had also wanted to be in the military. So I had gone as I was growing up there in high school, I was going back and forth between the Air Force and the Marines, Air Force and the Marines. Michael Kent was career Air Force. And so he had a lot more influence there. And he was saying, yeah, Rick, that Marine's lying to you. Whereas the Marines said, I'll put you in crash crew and firefighting. And well, my uncle had that influence. I went to the Air Force and uh, they told me, hey, you can choose firefighting when you get down to boot camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that that man sat across the table, looked at me and he says, son, you've been screwed. Pick a job. And then uh, there's a whole long story behind this. But I took on the Air Force and I did get into firefighting. And so I was going to make it a career with the Air Force until they came to me and they said, hey, when you reenlist, there's a shortage in your original career field. You're going to go back. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not going back because I would just want to want to do is firefighters. I left. I became a civilian firefighter uh, with the Air Force, decided to go to college. And, you know, Ryan, I wasn't bright enough to figure out that. Hey, as firefighters, we can work a shift and go to college at the same time. So I resigned and I ran out uh, of money and I had gone past my reinstatement date with federal civil service. That's how I wound up in the Marine Corps. Couldn't get back in the Air Force. They said, hey, there's too many firefighters. So I went down the hall to the Marine recruiter. They said, uh, yeah, here's what can happen. And I talked to a reserve recruiter and he says, yeah, we got openings uh, for crash crew um wham bam that's how i wound up in the marine corps as a, as a firefighter and then as life goes um let's see when was it that was about a year and a half later and uh-huh. i was approached by the uh the career counselor he said too many uh, uh ncos non-commissioned officers too many ncos in uh, crash crew david you got to pick a job so he gave me the dream sheet I filled that out with three jobs I thought that I'd like to do. I didn't get mm-hmm. any one of them. They put me in aviation operations. 
mm. which ultimately it did have a very positive impact on my life because I learned a lot of administrative skills that I otherwise would not have have learned. And one of the things, typing, learn how to use computers and so forth like that. And the typing has been very, very beneficial, you know, throughout my career, uh, report writing. When I had the opportunity to attend the uh, executive fire officer program in Maryland, mm -hmm. there's research projects attached to that. And then my book uh, that I wrote. So that's how I went from Air Force to Marine Corps. I would have stayed. Uh, I'd had nine years, three months, but I uh, injured my right knee. And so I was put out, uh, put out of the Marine Corps, but fortunately it wasn't, it was an injury that the Marine Corps couldn't live with, but it was not an injury that kept me out of the fire service. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's a cool story. You know, again, you don't, you don't really hear too often um, people that serve in multiple branches, right? I mean, I think the most well-known one is probably David Gaggins of, you know, being in a SEAL and a Ranger going through both trainings and Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, you know, like I said, you don't hear about it too often. So it was cool to thank you for sharing that. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so there, so after that, you went into the fire service um, there in uh, Loveland. Did you start right up, right after the Marine Corps into Loveland, or did you? Was there a job in between there? Well, while I was stationed uh, in North Carolina, I was at uh, Cherry Point Marine Air Station. And while I was down there. Uh, I had friends out here in Colorado because I had been stationed out here uh, when I was in the Air Force. And so when I got out, I was living here. Mm -hmm. uh, they introduced me to a girl here in Loveland. And uh, we had a long distance relationship and we got engaged. And so we got married uh, a couple of weeks after I got out of the Marine Corps. And so the choice that I was faced with is we can get married. I can haul her back to Jersey. We could be both unemployed living in my mom's cellar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or I had a job offer out here in a, a small defense contractor where they made parts for radar missile systems, guidance systems, yeah. that that type of stuff. And I tell you, Ryan, I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> detested it. I hated it. Uh -huh. uh, I you know, and I went from that. They they says you're not in the Marine Corps anymore. You know, and I, I had a very very difficult time adjusting. And mm -hmm. frankly, they gave me an option. Uh, you can go out this side door on your own or we'll escort you out the front door. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I did not adapt very well to that uh, corporate world. And I did go mm -hmm. into another corporate job. And, and fortunately, I was able to get uh, on with Loveland Fire Rescue. And at the time, we were very uh, heavy with volunteers. And so that's mm -hmm. how I initially came into the organization. Mm -hmm. as a volunteer and then a year later uh, i got hired awesome. so that that was very very fortunate you know and a blessing that way and then worked my way up through the ranks and seen the fire department here grow over mm -hmm. the years we went from three fire stations uh, when i first started in 1990 to where the department now is getting ready to open up station number 10 so wow. it's just been, yeah so it's just been tremendous growth here in northern colorado and where you're seeing the cities grow, you know, closer and closer to one another mm -hmm. and, you know, great cooperative action between our department and the ones neighboring. So just a number of different changes there. So that's yeah, how I got into uh, Loveland Fire after the Marine Corps. That's awesome. Very cool. And, that, you know, I think that's how a lot of us start out, right? You know, whether you, know, you start off with a volunteer and some people continue that, right, for, you know, 20, 30 years. But, you know, for those of us that are in the career world, that's where a lot of us started, either mm -hmm. part-time, paid-on-call, volunteer, um, you know, so it, it would, it's cool because I, I kind of have the same story with um, the fire service, at least. Um, you know, we, I started off, part or paid on call it was in 2005 in the same department I'm with now and eventually 10 years later it was a little longer than yours <laughs> um and uh, I've, I've been I've been blessed to be full-time there and oh, you know have been cool. for the last seven so um yeah so it's 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 super cool to start off and now hopefully finish my career at mm -hmm. the same department and you know just like you did so that's a pretty cool story it's a great career, Ryan. It, it, is. it is. It's a fantastic career. Absolutely. Now, you've obviously done a few other things in your life. Um, you've written a book. 
you mm -hmm. started a business. Um, so let's start with which one came first, the book or the business? Uh, or is that kind of the same? idea started first. Okay. And let's my wife, that. yeah, so my wife and my daughters, they had been encouraging me for a long time to write a book. Uh -huh. you know, as you know, in the fire service, you know, very close, you know, camaraderie. And I was, you know, teaching leadership in our church. And then as I was moving my way through the fire department, I was teaching leadership. And certainly when I got promoted to battalion chief prior to that, I had made a vow to myself that if I ever get to the rank of battalion chief, I will spend time with the crews. I had shift commanders prior to that, that they didn't spend time with us. Uh, the last one that I had before I got promoted, he would show up at the station to deliver the station mail, pick up mm -hmm. the mail, say, I need to talk to you outside. Well, I knew what was going on. I mean, he, there was no, no problem with me. He uh, wanted to go outside because he could smoke a cigarette and then complain about everything that was going on in the fire department. <laughs> and then he said, okay, I got to go. And he'd hop in his uh, you know, vehicle and take off. And I mean, he never sat down with us, never talked to us. Well, unless there was a problem, you know, sure. yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with those types. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And so Ryan, I said, if I ever get promoted to battalion chief, I am not going to do this stuff here. I'm going to change it. And I did. And so I started spending time with the crews. I'd go out to the station, sit down with them, I'd get to know them. And Hey, after the war stories, you know, the leadership things would come up or mm -hmm. what I found was very interesting. I could be out of the station for 45 minutes, you know, slam down a couple of cups of coffee, you know, with the crews and say, well, you know, I better get going. And somebody say, Hey chief, you got a minute. <laughs> and I'd laugh, you know, myself, I think, but yeah, I've been here for 45. Uh -huh. Sure. And so then the questions will start, you know, to come up. Yeah. And so this, became part of that progression to write the book because as they got to know me better and vice versa, a lot of the guys are saying, Hey, chief, you ought to write this stuff down. In August of 2017, my wife talked about it again. We wound up at a lunch and learn uh, with a lady named Polly Latovsky down in Denver. Mm -hmm. She has a company called my word publishing. And she was running a lunch and learn called self publishing one Oh one. So fortunately it was a Thursday where we'd had a chief's meeting scheduled and it was mm -hmm. canceled. So my wife and I went down, uh, we met Polly, we met a lady that was working with her, Susie Schaefer, and which Susie uh, subsequently has moved back home to California, started her own business, but she still played a very integral part in my book. And I'll tell you about that here momentarily. We came out of that restaurant and I said, well, I guess I'm writing a book. And that, <laughs> that was August of 2017. <laughs> and Polly got me connected with a writing coach in denver who had moved out here from jersey so say similar personalities she understood my sense of humor and you know and so forth like that and it, and it was great and as we moved along i mentioned that susie had to move back to california she started her own company polly said hey you can stay with me or susie's been working on your project and so we decided to stay with uh, susie as we moved into 2019, Susie said, Rick, I know that you have been talking about starting a leadership training business. Now's the time to do it. Your book's going to be coming out here in a couple months. You don't want to just write the book and have it set up on the shelf because outside of you know your circle, nobody knows who you are. Yeah. And it's like that made absolute sense to me. So that's June 2019 started the business in Pactus when I registered it with the Secretary of State. And the name came about after I had been bantering about, I had a page and a half of business names down. And I went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I love studying that campaign. Mm -hmm. Sat up there on a big granite rock on the saddle between Cemetery Ridge and uh, Little Round Top. And I've been praying about, hey, what should I do here for the name? And I just really settled on that name in Pactus. Then in November of 2019, that's when uh, the book here uh, was launched. Oops, get rid of that glare, the furnace of leadership development. So that is how that all uh, came about, Ryan. Trying to build a business while you're working shift can be very, very difficult. We went from working the uh, modified Kelly 24 on off, you know, for three shifts and four days off. 
to work in the we went to work in the 48 hour shift 48 on 96 off and as a battalion chief i had a lot of uh, off-duty responsibilities we had a staff vehicle assigned us of course the phone the radio a laptop we had to pull on call duty off-duty meetings and, and so forth and so on like that it was getting very very difficult to try mm-hmm. to build business I had been given a heads up that I was going to be moved back in as the training chief, either at the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021. We suspected that it would probably be moved up. And it was, I was told that May 4th, you're going to go back in the training. And now after 37 years, Mm -hmm. I love Ryan. I love teaching and I love training, but the Mm -hmm. training position is not about that. Not, not, Not at all. It's much more administrative and, you know, trying to, heard everything together and my wife and I we talked about it if I go back into training I'm I'm trying to build a business now it's hard enough working a 48-hour shift I had worked average of 60 hours a week when I was in that position before and I said it's not going to happen and so that's when I sat down I typed up my retirement letter and sent it to the chief so I've been working the business full-time since I'd say June of 2020 because we went on vacation after Mm -hmm. our Sure. Wow. A lot happened in that, uh, in that time frame. Um, you're, you're not kidding. Cause I'll add in that same time frame at the end of 2020 in December, my oldest daughter got married. And then six months later in May of 2021, my youngest daughter got married. Oh, <laughs> wow. You had a lot happen in that, in that period of time. That's for sure. Um, and that's, you know, that's where the main goal of this podcast comes from it's to hopefully inspire somebody that's listening to that maybe is contemplating entrepreneurship. That's a first responder, whether they're a fireman, a cop, dispatcher, military, whatever. And hearing stories like yourself and the other guests hopefully will spark that inspiration Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, you know what? Rick did it. Ryan did it. You know, all these other people did it. I can do it too. And, you know, being a, especially being a fireman and, you know, obviously police have a, some of them have weird schedules. Some of them don't, <laughs> some of them work only three twelves and, you know, they might have a little bit more leeway with their, uh, with their schedules. You know, if you're on, you're working 4896s like you guys were, uh, we're 2448s uh, over mm-hmm. here you know, it, it brings its own set of challenges because when you're on shift, it's kind of hard to get back to clients or to, you know, especially if you're working for a a busier department and Mm -hmm. there's just no time in the day. Plus all of the other obligations that you have at your career department, Mm -hmm. right. You know, you're, and you're trying to balance a side hustle and, you know, you have most of us in the fire service are pretty committed individuals, right? So, Mm -hmm we're not just showing up working our 24 hours and going home. There's committees, there's specialty teams, there's just a million other things that we always put ourselves in. It's like, Oh yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. I can help with that. I can help with that. And not everybody, but the majority of us. And it's like where you don't have any time in the day. Like we, our work day is technically over at three o'clock and you know, we, I try to, you know, either work out or, open up the laptop and, you know, try to get something done and it just never works out, you know, and it's always Mm -hmm. a pain. Occasionally I'll be able to take client calls or, you know, maybe do some admin stuff on the laptop, just something that's not necessarily, um, you know, time pressing or need the attention Mm -hmm. of the client. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've really hit on a few things there, Ryan, that's important for people in our line of work. And while I line of work, public safety, fire, mm-hmm. police, EMS, mm-hmm. and that's the juggling and the balancing back and forth. And, and everything you said, the average uh, Joe and Betty Schmuckatelli out on the street, they have no clue. They, they have not, none. Mm-hmm. You know, they have no clue what it's like, number one, to try to even get on the job. And then once you're on the job, you know, what it takes to go through the ranks and to get promoted and so forth like that. Um, they have no clue 
what we're doing while we're in the fire station. They still, so many people still have that image in their mind, you know, that we show up, you know, we sit around, drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, mm-hmm. watch TV, polish the rigs, go to fires, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's it. They have, they have no, they have no idea what's happening, you know, within that world. So for those of us who started businesses or have businesses, a couple thoughts come to mind even before the juggling and everything. And that's, preparation that is something that i continually talk to the people on my shift about is be prepared because this thing is coming to an end sooner or later it's going to come to an end we have this tendency to think that and i was blessed i mean i really was 37 years you know that's a long time on the job 30 of them here in loveland i've worked with people that haven't made it that long and they didn't make it that long because it's like, I can't do this anymore, I don't, you know, from the mental aspect. Or they fell off a ladder or, and they jacked themselves up and they can't come back to the job. We had one individual that was working uh, part-time for U.S. West running phone lines. He was running phone lines in a, a commercial occupancy. Ceiling gave way, bam, 12 foot down to the floor jacked up his shoulder uh he ran out of sick time with the fire department he was getting workers comp from us west but from our side he ran out for him he was no longer employed with us because he he couldn't stick around any longer on the other side he was fortunate that he had to work with us west there's a lot of people in the fire service that i'm sure you know you've run into that they're not doing any long-range planning so that's one benefit of the business, of starting a business. It's having something that you could transition into once this career comes to an end, whether we're fire, police, EMS, because way too, uh, you know, police officer can get slammed. I had a friend working for the police department and he was a community safety officer. He was stopped behind the vehicle that was disabled in the road. And while he was sitting there, he got plowed into from the rear end from a drunk woman driving that they estimated 54 miles an hour. Of course, he got injured. Uh, Mm -hmm. That wasn't what ended his career, but that very well could have ended his career right there. So that planning aspect. So people who are watching this, if you're contemplating starting a business, I would encourage you to go ahead and do it from that standpoint. Or if you're contemplating, should I finish my education? I'd say, yeah, go ahead and do it because we got to take care of ourselves and our families once this job comes to an end. And there is a lot of work. Now it's come into the balancing part that you talked about. I was mm-hmm. when you were saying what you're trying to do there, you know, in the fire department and in your business. I was thinking about a man that worked on my shift that he just left the fire department here, I think about six months ago. He was a realtor. And so he was balancing the fire department to, with being a realtor and he was letting his clients know, I can't take your calls while I'm on duty. Mm-hmm. And he became a topic of conversation before he came over to my ship. It was like, I, I didn't know the guy very well, but there was always questions about, hey, you know, what's his primary job? Is it the fire department or is it being a real estate agent? When he came on my shift, he had a very heart-to-heart conversation with me. And he told mm-hmm. me, this is why I'm looking forward to my future. He said, I have a bad back. And he said, I can't do this job forever. He said, my back kills me. So that that man was planning for his future. And I watched him. I mean, he was doing what he was a, a company officer. He mm-hmm. was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was a good firefighter. He was a good company officer. He was taking care of his crews. And I never saw anything in him that would have caused question in my mind to sit down with him and say, hey, which is your primary job? This, this, or or that. So there's, there's a big balancing act that goes on. On the other hand, there are those people out there that, hey, the firehouse in the downtime, that's their time to run run the business. And so Mm -hmm. that's got to be looked at from an ethical uh, standpoint. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, whatever commitments that you make, you you know, you should do everything that you can honor them. Now, you know, I, every client that I talk to, I tell them what I do full time. You know, I tell them that I'm a fireman and, you know, when I'm at the firehouse, I can't, you know, I can't be at your beck and call, you know, granted, now I do have a team that 
you know, takes care of, you know, all of our fulfillment and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm blessed in that fashion because all of that work is, is still being done in the background, Mm -hmm. not by me, which is great. And, uh, you know, I can then focus at 24 hours on, you know, the fire department, but, you know, I, I preface that in every conversation once they, uh, you know, whether it's a discovery call or a sales call and, um, just to give them a heads up. So that way, if they do call me at 9am on a, on tomorrow's my shift, you know, 9am tomorrow, I'm sorry, but I I can't pick up, you know, I have it. I I'm committed to this today. Yeah. You're somebody else's beck and call. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it called 911, right? Right. (laughs) Um, and the, I just think, and I do from time to time see people, and I guess I am guilty of this at some point as well. Um, you know, you, you do take those phone calls, you know, around lunchtime or maybe a break. Um, but, you know, there's, you do have to stay committed to the particular job that you're mm-hmm. at at that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're on different committees and you have work to do to finish said item in the committee, whatever it may be, right? Um, I, I do think it, like you said, it's a, it's a balancing act and it's hard sometimes, mm-hmm. but, you know, as long as you can separate and keep your commitments, then you'll be fine. Yeah. And so, here, here's a word of caution that I, I throw out as mm-hmm. well to people who are listening and it's what I shared. Several of us were involved in teaching at a local community college in their fire science program. Mm-hmm. And that became a full-time job for some of them. And a couple uh, guys that we had on our fire department, they wound up as the, because they were running a firefighter one uh, program over there. And a couple of our guys wound up as the academy leads. And mm-hmm. I saw them being pulled in a couple different directions. So even though the program director knew, okay, yeah, they're working for Loveland Fire on duty today, there were sometimes things that came up that had to be addressed. Like, okay, I understand that. But the danger that I started to see with the people from our department and some of the neighboring departments who were working it as well as becoming so immersed in it that there was no free time. They went from teaching at the school on duty, teaching on duty, teaching on duty. And then their four days, you know, they were committed there or maybe they might be running a business too and then next yeah. thing you know that that rubber band only stretches so far and it snaps and something has to give and you hit on it at the beginning of the conversation we like to get involved with things we want to be involved with hazmat you know with wildland and trench rescue you know whatever specialty a fire department has we want to get involved with it and it just increases the opportunity for burnout to creep up on people and they don't realize it. And then it's like, bang, I got to cut things out where there's problems at home. The kids aren't seeing them. And so we, as people in public safety, we want to go, 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 go with our type AAA plus personalities and it can catch up to us. And we, we must watch out for that. Oh yeah. Burnout's real. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I have actually touched on this a couple of times uh, in previous podcasts as well, that it's okay to say no Mm -hmm. to things. And I was very guilty of not doing that and saying yes to everything. And I've, (laughs) you know, I, I overcommitted myself many, 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 many times. And I, it took, it took me a long time to realize that it's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're that you're disrespecting or you're you're not caring about you know whatever that person is bringing to you or the event that you're invited to or hey I need your help with this project. You know it's you're saying no, or if you continue to say yes, you're saying no to something, right? Whether yeah. it's your family, whether it's your business, whether it's the fire department, whether it's the police department, whatever, whatever it is, something is going to be made of sacrifice, right? Absolutely. And at the same time, when you say no, after you've been saying yes, the last 
15 times. And when you say mm -hmm. no, I 100% guarantee at least one person, probably 10 on the fire department will say, man, what's going on with Ryan? He's backing off. Is he still committed to the job? <laughs> Just because oh, yeah. he said no one time. <laughs> you are 110% correct. 110% correct. That, yeah, that is spot on. Spot on. Um, yeah, so it it's it's definitely a it's a balancing act and it's something that you know I don't want to discourage people, mm -hmm. but as long as you can manage it, it it's fruitful in the end. Like you said, you're you're planning for the future. You know, what if you get hurt? What if you know what happens when you retire? There's we just had a couple of guys retire that had nothing to fall back on and mm -hmm. You know, they went from job to job. They, you know, they were unhappy, and you know, luckily they found something that it works for them now. But they left, and like, what, what the hell am I going to do? Right, find something that you like to do now, and invest in it. Yes, because I had very, very good advice from a friend of mine. His name's Paul Callen. He wrote mm -hmm. the forward to my book, and I got to know Paul in 2013. He spent 30 years in the Marine Corps, retired as a as a colonel, and he's got his own leadership company as well. And we, when I was the training chief, we've been bringing him in here. And that's how I got to know him. And he had a conversation with me one day and he says, hey, Rick, he says, here's something you need to understand. When you leave Loveland Fire, it will never, ever be the same again. He had seen the culture of the organization, the camaraderie and so forth like that. He said, you're not going to have that when you leave. And he says, you need to come to terms with that. So those two, uh, you know, firemen that you're describing that mm -hmm. they retired, they didn't have anything. Uh, that's really not something uncommon where you oh, yeah. know, guys start to wander around, so forth like that. But if we can now, when you're still on the job, build something and look ahead so you can fall back on that. Yeah. Hey, I was just down the street at uh, one of our stations on Saturday when I was out walking the dog. And I mean, hey, everybody there was very friendly, you know, including the the new guy on the job that just met me for the first time back in November. That's mm -hmm. not the same. Yeah, it, it's not the same. It's not like when I was the battalion chief, you know, and I'd show up in the station and walk in. It's it is different. And so this is a this is a downfall of the fire service, Ryan is we don't help people prepare mentally for the retirement aspect of the job. There's a, the retirement people will show up and they'll talk about the financial aspect of it. And fire guys, cops, I know too, are really good at this. You know, watching the stock market, the, the amateur financial people and so forth. Mm -hmm. like that. But they're neglecting the other aspect of it. And that's what's going on up in here when you leave. So that ties back in to what we're saying is, if you can start a business now, you launch out and be an entrepreneur now, find that balance. It's going to be difficult, but there's people out there who are doing it so much and fire and police EMS that yeah, we can fall back on each other and say, hey, how are you doing this? So that when that day does come, it's like, oh, okay, Eddie hit 20 years. <laughs> Get a cake, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Eddie doesn't walk out the door. Yeah. And he doesn't become like a gentleman that was on our police department that had retired out as a sergeant. And he was a great guy. I mean, he was, he was, I, I loved it when he showed up on, on calls with us. He's originally from New York. Okay. I, I, I knew it. Yeah. He wasn't going to take any crap off. Anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. But when he retired, he kept showing up at roll call. Did he really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, you know, that had to be addressed. It's like, well, you're welcome here, but this is not, not your place to be here at roll call this month. Yeah. You, you need to back off. Yeah. So that's that mental, that mental aspect. A lot of things that, that, that come into play. And for people that are listening, yeah, and you're coming up on that retirement thing, or you've just retired and you're bouncing around I'm more than willing to talk to anybody about what it has been like for me. Mm -hmm. And and for these guys that are retirement or, or even yourself, you know, because they'll eventually come is 
it might be a year or two before some of these things really start to come back. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really dealing, you know, with that separation, you know, from the crews, the camaraderie mm -hmm. the, that comes along with the firehouse. That doesn't come along with any other job. No. Even the cops don't get the same kind of camaraderie that we have. No, not at all. I, I agree 100%. And, you know, like you said, we do we do do a good job with the financial aspect, right? Especially our, our union does a pretty good job at um, at making sure guys are putting money into their 457 plans and making sure that, you know, we are preparing ourselves financially for mm -hmm. retirement on top of our pension. And, but nobody ever addresses the mental aspect, like you said, you know, what it what happens when you retire? Is it the camaraderie's gone? So you're missing that. I mean, we do, we obviously welcome our retirees anytime they want to come by the firehouse to have a cup of coffee. Right. And cause it's just, you're, you're still part of the family. You're just not, unfortunately, you're just not in the station anymore all the time. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I've always been a very big proponent of is like, Hey man, just come by and have a cup of coffee you know, come by, have lunch. And we, we had a couple of guys come by for lunch. It was probably two, three months ago, maybe. And it was great. Just in gotcha. some of the newer guys that were there, we got to hear a lot of the older war stories and, you know, all the shenanigans, <laughs> shenanigans that go on in the firehouse. <laughs> and, uh, they were like, wow, you know, that, you know, that was pretty cool. And then they would leave and then we would tell more stories about the guys that just left. And, we're like, holy <laughs> crap, they they did that. And we're like, yeah, he did, you know, yeah. and it it's cool, you know, it brings it brings a lot of things full circle and it, mm -hmm. and it, it is really nice to you know have the retirees come back. So um let's switch gears a little bit here and let's talk about your leadership business. I'm a very big uh reader, I guess you could say, uh, in leadership. Um, I will absolutely pick up your book. I okay. have I'm looking at extreme ownership up here mm. uh, john c maxwell's 21 most powerful minutes in a leader's mm. day you know I, I i i love reading those kinds of books i think that in today's day and age not necessarily just the fire service just in uh, corporate world anywhere really in general there there's a lot of leadership styles that i have been exposed to that i don't like mm -hmm. right yeah. and a lot of bosses not leaders bosses because there mm. are there is a very big difference between those two titles absolutely and i i just don't want to i don't want to be a boss and i don't want to make and i don't want to work for a boss either you know and unfortunately sometimes it happens right you just got to mm -hmm. deal with it and hopefully that that person changes his his or her leadership style but uh i just when you when you when you see and you're exposed to bad leadership it it really ruins your experience at that particular job whether it's yes. a fire service whether it's a corporate job doesn't matter mm -hmm. and for and a lot of these bad bosses were in my younger years at various different jobs and you know you look at that and it's like man i'm like if he was even just a little bit more positive, how would my experience mm. have been better? What, what could I have learned differently? Mm -hmm. And I've always looked back and at those individuals and I'm like, I don't ever want to be those people. You know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm a positive leader that I, I and I consider myself a servant leader is mm -hmm. what I consider myself as. And you know, I want to make sure that we are building a a team around us that is better than us and that mm -hmm. we create leaders that are better than us mm -hmm. because moving yes. forward, you're just going to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the way I look at it is however, however I can, that is what I want to do is I want to make the world a better place in, in whatever fashion that uh, God gives me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, your style and, you know, just a few things that you touched on earlier in the, in the show about sitting down with your guys and just listening to them, right. Learning about them. And I, I think that's a huge um, positive for a leader to do in the fire service because of that, you know, our job's different, you know, not every 
bot or every leader in a, in a company really can sit down with their entire crew because they might be in charge of hundreds of people. Now, some do make the, make the point to sit down with every person. And that's fantastic if they have the time, but our, our jobs are a little bit different because, you know, we do, you know, as a, as a BC, I'm sure you had what, probably two, three firehouses you were responsible for, maybe more depending on, well, you had 10 now. So I had seven at seven. Okay. You know, so it might be hard, but you, you made a point to do it. And I'm sure that resonated really well with your guys. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your leadership style and, you know, how the business came about. I know you touched on it briefly before, but you know, what's your, what's your goal with it? What's, what's your why? All right, so the leadership aspect, you mentioned John Maxwell's the 21 most powerful or yeah, the uh, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. I was mm-hmm. starting to go down the path of another book, the 21 most powerful minutes in a leader's mm-hmm. day. Yep. So I yep. retired 0730, May the 3rd, and that was a Sunday morning. That following Saturday, I joined the John Maxwell team. So I've been part of, and it was the John Maxwell team and has re- been rebranded in the last six months to uh, the Maxwell leadership team. Okay. And so I've been affiliated, you know, with them now for over two years and there's great material, you know, that comes along with that. And just, just briefly, uh, uh, as a license, I can use it entirely, or I can pick what I want to add to my own content, which I've been developing my own content for years. I've been a student of leadership for years and I was on a podcast three weeks ago and a question was posed to one of the co-hosts. Is like, well, what got you in this study in leadership? And he said, poor leadership. <laughs> and I laughed and I thought, well, that pretty much uh, is what has driven me as well is, is working for some poor, and I hesitate to use the word leaders. Mm-hmm. I like how you describe it, bosses or managers. And there is a difference between a manager and a leader. And the managers are great. Put them in the warehouse. There you go. You know, there's 10,000 boxes of styrofoam cups in here. It's your job to make sure they're coming in, going out and tracking them. You take that person and now you put them into a leadership role where they're dealing with people and they try to treat those people like those 10,000 boxes of styrofoam cups. And it doesn't work. It doesn't, it does not work. Leadership is about people. You know, Maxwell says, because you've read it and I'm sure you've heard him say it is, yeah, leadership is influence, nothing more and, and nothing less. Well, there's good influence and there's bad influence. I've got my list of the five top worst people that I've ever worked for. And unfortunately, Ryan, two of them were on my own fire department. <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, it, it doesn't need to be that way. We must become students. You, you mentioned extreme ownership you know, by Jocko. Uh, and I'm um, the other fellow slips my mind right now. Late, late Bevan. Yes, yes, yep. thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know those are popular books for fire, you know, and police people. Mm-hmm. So the importance of the leadership and where is it going? Our style of leadership. You mentioned servant leadership. Well, you know, when in my early years, it was pretty much taught that there's three styles: authoritative, democratic, and laissez-faire. And initially, especially yes. being in the military, I thought laissez-faire. Wow, you know, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. That's just some spineless, you know, communist thing. I don't want. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand really what what that meant. And unfortunately, the people at the at the schools I was attending in the military were not doing a very good job of teaching it. That so I thought, I'm authoritarian. When I look back, I was just thinking about this last night. Some of my first actions that I took as a uh, as a ranking member on my shift in the fire department uh, when I was still in the Air Force, and it's like I go, "Holy moly, Davis! I can't believe I did that crap." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just hard line, like John Wayne from the Sands mm-hmm. of Pajama, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that, and you know, so it it progresses. Hey, the book title, The Furnace of Leadership Development, there's a, there is a furnace that takes place. And are we going to allow ourselves to be molded? And leadership, besides those other three that I mentioned, and servant leadership that you mentioned, we have transactional and transformational. 
far too many people take this authoritative transactional approach or they go to the other end that where they're afraid to do anything. They're afraid to confront somebody. And so you got, that's, that's the problem when I came out of the Marine Corps and I got hired into that company where I was telling you about was the defense contractor. They initially mm -hmm. hired me to come in and take care of some issues with, that they were having with machinists. And there mm -hmm. was one guy, one guy, he'd been a Navy veteran that was controlling the business. So the owners were letting this schmo control the business. Hmm. And I would ask him because they changed my job description. I said, what do you let this guy run your business for? Ah, well, you know, if, if we lose him, we lose one of the best machinists ever. But the guy's poisoning your organization. <laughs> Can his sorry butt. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't have the background, a backbone to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we see these things, you know, just, just play out, play out. Where my goal with with leadership and where I took where I went with the business and where I want to go with the business is to transform people. I want to be able to sit down with people like I did on the job. There, you know, captive audience. But to sit down with people, after we get done, uh, I'm driving over to another city, sitting down with a firefighter from another department that I've been working with. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing the transformation that takes place. And so when we spend time with people, that that one-on-one -on -one or one on the group, at the group mm -hmm. level, then, yeah, it was great when I had the opportunity, if I could sit down one-on-one -on -one, you know, with people on the shift, but the majority of the time, yeah, it was around around the table. And and yeah, there are some organizations where it becomes more difficult, but there's a word, and I heard it this morning on one of the um, John Maxwell mentorship calls, and that's intentional. We have to be intentional. When I first got promoted to BC in 2005, I was able to pick up the phone, call out, uh, say, Station 3, hey, what you guys doing? You know, uh, well, we got an uh, inspection at three o'clock and we'll be back at four. Okay. Hey, put on the pot of coffee. I'll come out. It, as we got busier, I had to get intentional about scheduling the time in the calendar between what they had going as a company or company level training, you know, shift level training, so forth like that. But nevertheless, it was in the calendar and I, I went, I went out there. Uh, one of the primary complaints that I heard from people on my shift about our chief was we never see the guy. Even when he was showing up at one of the stations for a board meeting, they would say, he might just say, hi, wave and, and, and walk out the door. You know, it means a lot that when a chief officer even shows up at the fire station at lunchtime or supper time, shift change, have a cup of coffee with the crews, it's going to be different at that level than it was, you know, for me as a shift commander, but just investing that time. And when I hear people say, I don't have time to do it. There was a, a great short two minute video that I saw the other day that I reposted on LinkedIn done by a Sergeant major in the Marine Corps. And it was hilarious because he's talking about open door policy. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't want to hear anything about your open door policy. He says, it doesn't work. And he said, I don't care if you have 17 open doors. People aren't going to walk through it. You need to go out to them. And, and that is absolutely the truth. Once we do go out to them and we show them, the people that we're interested in them and that they can trust us, it makes it a whole lot easier that if they come down to, I worked out of station one, that if they come down to station one, they could come up and you know, the door nearly was always open in the office unless I was you know, involved in some type of a personnel action. Mm -hmm. so it makes it easier for them, Ryan, to come up and say, hey, chief, you got a minute? Yeah, sure. But as you know, also uh, the open door policy in the fire department is we just don't hop in the rig to drive <laughs> <laughs> to the station that where the BC is because you created a hole someplace yeah. and that hole has got to be filled. And, and these are things from a leadership perspective that people who have never worked in our, our profession, they don't, they don't understand it. They don't understand the requirements that we have because what's our primary job? Serve the public. We are public servants. Uh, and so we've got to take care of that aspect of it first. So it makes it much more difficult and challenging. 
But this notion of getting out and visiting people, I like to ask the question, and people tell me, I just don't have, I can't do that. I don't have the time to do that. Well, why did Winston Churchill, or how did Winston Churchill in World War II, when he was the prime minister of England, have time to go visit the workers in the shipyards and the coal mines and the troops? Why did George S. Patton, commanding general of the Third Army in World War II, have time to go out and visit the troops on the front lines where he was getting his butt shot at? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if those two guys can do it, and then we come up with these excuses, hey, I don't have time to do it. Yeah, we got to pry yourself away from the computer. And one of the things that I've, I've learned since coming on the Maxwell team, because I was constantly hearing this in the fire department from the, you know, the ops chiefs and the fire chiefs, these guys don't know how to manage their time. Well, hey, you know, people, hey, if there's any chiefs listening to this, remember where you came from. Yeah, you came <laughs> off that rig, you know, and things have progressed and things are busier and people are different than when you first came on the job and the guys on the rigs are faced with different challenges that you may have been faced with. And they're busier than you may have been busy. And, and so this time, they don't know how to manage time. Well, when you've got something planned, as you very well know, and at 2.30 in the afternoon, the tones go off and you're going down the street to, you know, your favorite frequent flyer again. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these things all, all come, come into play, but we have to work around that stuff. And what Maxwell says is manage our priorities, not our time. And how many times have you heard our number one asset is our paintball? Yeah, wait, time around our paintball. Yeah, well, <laughs> how many times do they say that? But is it put in action? Exactly. They really, truly appreciate the people. So mm-hmm. what I want to do, you know, in my business is I, I want to be able to convey the lessons that, and that was the same thing with the book. I wanted to be able to convey the lessons that I I learned over the years. And hey, Ryan, in the book, there's the good and the bad. <laughs> I, I talk right. about some, some incredibly stupid things that I did <laughs> in my life, but I want people to learn from right. those incredibly stupid things that I did and from the things that I found to be uh, successful as well. We must be teaching leadership. We must be teaching people how to think. And I see, I, I can't really address this from the police department side. I do think they do better. But coming down to the fire service side, when, if I'm going to split this into two arenas, the municipal arena versus the wildland arena, I think the folks in the wildland arena, you know, are doing a, a lot better job at teaching leadership than what we are over in the municipal arena, even though in the municipal arena, we respond to wildland fires mm-hmm. but there's there's too much of a gap uh, in leadership training in the fire department too many fire departments that don't do anything about it until you know bill or sue say i want to be a company officer and then somebody will go on their chest says okay was i guess we better teach these people how to do something we better put ourselves together a company officer training program <laughs> mm-hmm. and then what happens there that turns into a one and done go one time yep done yep and you got a whole shelf full of books you're a student of leadership we must be continually studying this stuff hey we study what's happening what's coming out of the underwriter laboratories about fire behavior you know you look at the videos they got uh, rescue randy standing up on the roof you know and they're timing how long does it take for a dummy rescue randy to fall through the roof you know, and we got guys drooling over that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, oh, look at that. But then when it comes down to, you know, actually running the company, running the shift, running the fire department from a leadership perspective, there's gaps. And, and oh, yeah. I want to be able to fill in those gaps. Yes, I work with people who are, are not fire service, but after 37 years on the job, you know, we know the language. You know, oh, yeah. there's that connection that's in place. We know the war stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and I could tell each other war stories, and we know that it's actually happening in the fire service. Whereas Absolutely. we uh, we'll, I can go out to the coffee shop with my buddy here in a little bit, and the people who've never been in, they'll look at us like, yeah, you guys are full of it. You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was the intent. 
of starting of starting the business and writing the book, Ryan, is to pass on what I have learned. I feel that I have a duty and an obligation to do that. There, there's a verse in the Bible that says, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom more is given, even more is required. And I take that seriously. Though God has allowed me to live years beyond my father. My dad died when he was 41. Right now, I'm the oldest living Davis male. And I want to be able to take these things and pass them on to others to make them better professionally, personally, in their home, make them better citizens. That That's my entire goal with what I'm doing and with the book. That's incredible. That is incredible. That's, you know, honestly, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I loved everything that you said, you know, I, uh, was obviously listening quite intently and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I, I think that we need more of that in our, not just company officer training and, and chief level training. Um, but, I do think we need more of it at the at the firefighter level. You know? Absolutely. Start it in the academy. You, yes. If you go down, if you you say, I'm quitting the fire department, I'm going to go join the Marines. <laughs> yeah, you're going to start getting leadership training, bang, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much right off the bat. So yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but you are no, absolutely no. right. Start teaching the stuff at the academy level and at the firefighter level. And they're not, and then, the chiefs aren't going to be sitting around later on, you know, saying, man, why are we having problems over there at station three? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cause like, cause like you said, you brought up a good point. You know, it's, they see a group of people that, you know, at the chief level, let's say there's a promotional uh, test coming up. Right. And now they're, they're looking at that group of candidates and they're like, Oh shit. Let me get the, what are we going to, you know, we got to come up with some kind of like development program here because you know, Johnny, Johnny and Jim and whoever else they, they, they don't know how to, they don't know what it's like to lead. Well, mm -hmm. whose fault is that? I mean, yes. Right. Bingo. You know, you're, you're on target. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, maybe they should have taken it up a little bit, but at the same time on the chief level, why not have that officer development program in place already granted mm -hmm. you know maybe their predecessors didn't think about it and it wasn't on their radar could be but put it in place so it's there so you don't have to ask those questions and if you do then yeah you know maybe you got somebody that's taking the test that you know shouldn't be but you know and not only that but start it at the firefighter level like you said in the academy it doesn't have to be in depth but just start the principles then and then that way, when they when they are ready for that promotional test or they are ready to get into that officer development program, that they're not starting from scratch. They already have that's principles right. in their mind. Yeah, ready absolutely. to rock. When I was down at the down at station uh, six here the other day, and was in the office, and I, and I looked up, and on the side of the cabinet was an eleven by seventeen diagram taped up there, and I said, "Wow, you guys still have that up there." And one of the fellows, his name's Floyd. Floyd came on the department six months after I did. And I, I said to the other people, I said, you know where that thing came from, don't you? And uh, the, the officer, the lieutenant, he was, he was kind of chuckling and Floyd knew, but the new firefighter in there, she didn't know. I said, I developed that. And that was a leadership development program for the fire department that, that unfortunately was never implemented. But there's a progression arrow and starting at the firefighter level all the way up to the chief officer level and what we ought to be providing at each one of those ranks. Yeah. That's, I mean, something simple like that would be nice to have hanging up in, in, in every firehouse, every police department, every EMS office. Um, you know, I think it's needed. I think you're, you're doing a great thing. Um, I, I, I really think that, that these types of businesses should be incorporated in any fire department, any police department, any EMS office dispatching, whatever, you know, in public safety. And um, no, this has been, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Chief will, where can we find your book and your business? You can find my book on Amazon. It's okay. in paper, paperback and uh, e-form there. 
-hmm. If people want an autographed copy of the book, they can go to my website, www.impactusleadership.com, select that tab, and then they can order the book through there and I'll autograph it. Of course, they're going to pay for shipping mm -hmm. uh, through there. Uh, more information about me, my website describes what I'm doing. I'm in the process of, of updating some of the course descriptions right now. And just over the past month, I have finalized a interview program. It's a five-hour program for people who are either aspiring to be firefighters or the people who are already on and they want to be promoted. So I address core values. I'm certified to do the DISC behavioral assessment. So I take them through that. I do a debrief on that. And I talk about tips and tactics for interviewing. And I go over the sensitive questions that typically people choke over. And at the end, they're either not getting hired or they're not getting interviewed. And uh, I'm also working on a personal development program that would be available to anybody, but I'm really targeting you know, people in fire police and EMS with that. It would be a stair-step uh, personal leadership development program. That is awesome. Chief, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, welcome. Thank to come you. on. I know you're busy. Um, and for all the listeners, please check out uh, Rick's book and his website. If you're needing any kind of leadership tips, I, I, I highly recommend that you check it out. Um, definitely order his book. I will be for sure. And um, again, Rick's uh, contact information and the website and everything will be in the show notes for those of you that are listening. And again, Chief, it was a great to have you on. Thank it was you. a pleasure. Great conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll uh, hopefully have you on soon again. Right. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it very much. Have a good day. You as well. Thank you for listening to the First Do Entrepreneurs podcast. If you like our show, please hit that subscribe button below and leave a five-star review. If you're a first responder that also runs a business or maybe you're looking to start a business, check out our Facebook group for tips. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.